Hello, my name is Declan Devine. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest today is the incredibly named Harrison G. Pink. Um, Harrison is a, is a world designer at uh, Hangar 13. Most recently, uh, you could have seen his work in uh, Mafia 3, the game. Previously, he worked at a bunch of different companies, uh, most notably probably uh, Telltale, where he worked on the Walking Dead games and uh, Tales from the Borderlands games. Uh, and, and just, he's an all-round brilliant guy. This was a, a really thoroughly enjoyable chat. And and as always, one of my favorite things uh, on this show is speaking to people from, from different parts of the world and kind of uh, talking about, you know, their experience with games when they were young you know and how that can be vastly different from uh, various different countries so the, the most obvious is you know speaking to british developers versus american developers there tends to be you know americans are all all seemingly every kid in america was given a nintendo entertainment system at some point uh, whereas the the british developers and, and writers all kind of uh, grew up on the home computer so you know the bbc's and the spectrums and all that good stuff uh, but, but it's always like it's most interesting i think for me anyway is people grow up in countries that i have i have no idea what what the video game was like in their country so i spoke to shalesh prabhu uh, about growing up in in india and meg meg jayanth as well actually um spoke about spoke about that and ori takamura talked about growing up in in russia and you know the the, the russian video game scene and you know the, the, please i always encourage people to dig back into the archives these kind of insights are, are super fascinating and then with harrison like purely i think based on the the games that he'd worked on i just assumed he was he was american but it turned out harrison grew up uh, on the island of bermuda i mean what <laughs> who who grows up in bermuda you know what a thing to do well clearly uh, harrison does and and his family i guess uh, and it just it's really interesting just talking about you know how he developed a relationship with games whilst living on a on a subtropical island um it's a really fascinating chat i think i think you'll really enjoy it um uh, and, and i hope you do and thanks thanks as always for downloading the show and please do subscribe tell a friend rate and review on itunes share on social media all that good stuff people have been doing that recently and it, it genuinely it really helps like massively you know the audience is is growing week by week and uh and i think you know it, I'm, not, I'm not telling you to make people listen to it or anything but just you know introduce somebody to the show and if they like it they'll continue to listen and that, that seems to have been the case so far so uh please keep doing that and uh it's very much appreciated and for the for, you know you're all probably people who play video games uh, you actually do unlock uh, unlock an achievement for for doing this um it's an achievement in my heart <laughs> oh i'm sorry um there's a patreon too if, if you have if you have the money and the inclination all donations are very gratefully received uh, and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be uh, that's patreon.com forward slash checkpoints if you just like to get in touch, if you want to chat about anything whatsoever, um, that, maybe, maybe, let's maybe not be as broad as that, but if you'd like to get in touch about the show or any of the guests, if you have any questions, it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointshow on Twitter or it's checkpointspodcast on Facebook because it's very important to have consistent branding. If uh, if anyone happens to be sort of local, uh, I live in Glasgow, but if, if, if you're able to attend 
um if you're able to get to edinburgh basically next weekend it's uh it's the next games are for everyone event uh which is always uh amazing i'm very looking forward very much looking forward to it there's an i did an episode about the the, the last event a few months ago uh, so you can check that out but if you're able to come along i'm sure it's going to be filled with amazing video game stuff and paraphernalia and controllers and amazing indie games and it's always just like a really amazing night and a really great way to kind of reinvigorate a, a love of video games you know i mean i'm saying all that i probably should have uh should have checked with craig and andrew because it, it may very well be sold out but if it hasn't and you're able to go then i'd, I'd highly recommend it um okay that'll do for an intro i will be back next week with uh, a new episode and a new guest episode 80 can you believe it um thanks for downloading i hope to see you again next week for now though let's get on with the show So I don't know what I'm going to do next year if I don't have a talk to do. I'll just be sort of like, <laughs> I've already been spoiled on GDC now. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, let's uh, let's let's do the, a formal introduction I can edit in place. So sure. uh, Harrison, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Um, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Harrison Pink. I'm a designer at Hangar 13 Games. Uh, we recently released Mafia 3, and I'm currently working on DLC for, for Mafia 3. Um, before that, I was at Telltale Games for almost four years. I worked on um, The Walking Dead Season 1, the DLC episode 400 Days. Uh, and then I started working on Tales from the Borderlands. I was the co-creator with uh, my writer, Mike Stemley. And we worked on that for about a year. I was the kind of lead designer on that for a year until I moved back onto Walking Dead Season 2 for the finale episode, Episode 5. Um, I actually got my start. I've been doing this for about nine years. I've been got, I got my start at a small sort of services, games design services studio in Atlanta, Georgia called Thrust Interactive, where we, <clears throat> we did a lot of subcontracting, which means like, let's say uh, TNT has a new drama they want to advertise with some sort of game on their website they would come to us and we would build that for them you know we would they would they would go out to a bunch of different studios and we would do pitches and they would pick the one they like the most and then we would do the work for them and it would appear on their website but your name never goes on anything that way like yeah. it's just sort of you know thank you for your work thank you very much here's the money that you that you you know deserve for the work you did now it's ours so i didn't really have anything to show in a resume or, or portfolio for many years other than just the responsibilities i had um and yeah, so they've been doing this for about nine years now. That's that's super interesting. I'd, I'd never really, I mean, obviously I've seen things like that, like little promo games and stuff, but I'd never considered yeah, people it make as those. a yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's 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 it's, it's kind of like um, maybe it's not kind of like this. Maybe I'm projecting, but like it, it made me think of um, like directors and writers that that would have started doing like TV ads and music videos and stuff. It's just this very sort of short form. I get to do this and it's corporate sponsored and nobody will knew that I've done it, but it's a way that I can make something and show a certain style, but maybe yeah. you don't get that much leeway. I imagine. Well, not. I'll tell you, you know, it was funny is that I was able to pitch weird things to people and they were oddly receptive to it. Um, you still have to deal with a certain amount of fellow in a suit who's like, well, my kids are playing angry birds. That seems really hot. That can we just do that? We yeah. get a lot of that obviously, but like there was a lot of opportunity to just pitch strange things and then work on them for three weeks and then be done with it. Move on to the next thing. Um, oh, it's so like that, an angry birds pitch for like, like a, a medical drama or something. Right. <laughs> How yeah. do you fit those two together? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That would have been actually kind of an interesting, like mishmash, <laughs> 
of of like weird genre, like a weird genre piece. Um, but you know, you, you work on a thing for a small amount of time and you want your thing to be the most unique and interesting cause you're going up against X number of other studios doing the exact same thing as you. So, um, I always try to stay away from just, yep, it's a skin of Tetris or it's a skin of missile command or something. I always tried to make it a little bit more interesting cause and that's the kind of stuff that would get people to actually take our business. So that was um, a really interesting, like sort of very quick turn around how fast can we do it is this something we can do in the time that we have with the tech that we have and the people that we have because there's only f- i was the game designer and it was four of us in our garage so it was like we we only we you know the scope sort of set the size of the games we could make you know so so what what is what is your sort of current uh role at hangar 13 like what is your your job on on mafia for instance so on the base game, I was in the world design team, which was about half a dozen, a dozen of us across sort of junior, mid-level, and senior, and, and lead. Um, and what world design is at Hangar 13, every, obviously every studio sort of names yeah. their types of design slightly differently. But it's it was basically the um, open world combat. So you, in, in the game, you're, the game tells you, okay, before you can take out this and very important boss character you have to go around and smash up his his criminal racket do enough damage to it and then once you've done enough damage to that racket then you can go and take on the boss so the damage things are what we would do very small bite sized like 30 second to a minute encounters with you know seven or eight enemies uh in a backyard or inside a warehouse um not the like large tent pole like five minute missions the smaller ones then it's a real challenge to do this open world style thing because you can't force the player to enter and exit in yeah. certain directions. You can, they'll just come through in any sort of direction they want. Sometimes they'll just drive their car th- straight through it and you have to kind of support that as best you can. Um, and on the on the, the DLC I'm working on, obviously I can't talk about it too much, but I'm doing much more sort of classic level design, mission design, setting up encounters in a, in a sort of enclosed space, getting you know specific things to trigger and have enemies say specific voice lines and the, the sort of more in, all-encompassing mission what, what a lot of people would consider mission design that's interesting that I, I, I think because of, of your history at telltale and stuff i just assumed that you were you were involved in the writing but clearly that's not necessarily yeah the case. no it did not it's, it is it was a very odd transition i think that it was um and we can definitely go into that the, that oh, transition we'll come back to that, I'm sure, that yeah. um but i it was one of those situations where I really wanted to learn a new kind of design. Okay. Um, you know, the Telltale, if you've played any Telltale games in the past four or five years, they've, they've sort of honed in on one specific style of game ever since mm-hmm. The Walking Dead. And, I, and, and that's their thing now. Like, that's what Telltale is just always going to do. And I felt that I had, you know, in the three and a half, four years I'd been there, I felt that I'd, I'd quote unquote mastered that. I wasn't really learning any new kinds of design that I could that use it it was like applicable to every other sort of type of game out there yeah so um i i decided to take a job doing something i didn't have a ton of experience in and, and to their credit hangar 13 gave me an opportunity to do that i mean obviously i was able to to you know interview against a bunch of other people and get the job on my own merits but they definitely gave me the opportunity saying you know he doesn't have a lot of level design experience but he seems smart enough to pick it up um and I feel like I was able to do that relatively successfully. So, yeah, it's a roundabout way of answering your question, but it definitely was an intentional choice for me to not do that. I mean, I still love narrative design. I still, you know, pick the writer's brains, and I'm still 
you know, going out to lunch with them and talking about the things that matter to them and, and sort of give pitching my ideas for, for projects or for, you know, the DLC story beats or things that I'm concerned about. And, and narrative design is very much my, my passion, but, um, it's been nice to learn what is sort of more traditionally sort of regarded as game design. Now that, that's super interesting. I've, I've been having this discussion with a lot of people recently and, and, and I'm not trying to be, um, contrarian but like i i i don't go to to games for for stories like that's that that's way down the list of things that i want to get from a video game um like i i go to to play and and the aspect of what can i do what is this game going to teach me what can i learn how can i feel clever how is it going to set my brain on fire like really do i think about games and and i was actually talking to somebody just last night about this and I think one of the reasons for that is, um, is 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 scale, is size. You know, I, I don't even, and I think, and maybe this, I think this is like a, an age thing as well, because like even like TV box sets and things, I'm starting to go off that a bit as well, because it's like, huh, interesting. Just show me a movie, like, yeah, you don't need to. They, especially with Netflix shows, I've noticed recently. This, I'm going off on a tangent here. I apologize. No, this is good. This but is they, good. They have. They've fallen into such a, a, a formula for like how a, a series is is paced. Um, like you have this big strong opening, and then it kind of just holds holds ground for a little bit. Then there's a big mm-hmm. middle bit, and then it holds ground for a little bit. Like none of those shows, not none. Like rarely do these shows have to be as long as they are. And I get the same yeah. thing with games, where like it's told over such a broad scope. I don't really care. And also, it's yeah. my story, so I want to tell my story through the tools that the game gives me, as opposed to, I don't know, some myth about something or other. Sure. No, that's a really, it's a really fair point to make. I think that there is a lot of burnout on these large games, and um, I think that it's really. I mean, I, I am a narrative person, but I think that it is really important to me to make sure that the player is getting to tell a story or is going to have a story that they can share with their friends and it might be different from someone else's experience. Um, I think that it's a totally fair thing to say. Like I'm, I'm, I am burned out on these games that just have these grandiose overwrought stories and I don't care about them. And I, I don't think that, I don't think that requires less narrative. I think it just requires different narrative or maybe better. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't say better, but like, you know, you can tell the same story with less words. Um, that kind of thing where, you know, I mean, honestly, I've played so many open world games kind of accidentally in a row for the past year. Um, and I'm so burnt out on them, but they just keep making them. Yeah. <laughs> like like I, from Metal Gear Solid five, all, all the way up until now, they just keep making them. Um, and I'm not sure what they like the last couple of years, why there was sort of resurgence or focus on open world games specifically, um, has, has sort of become a thing cause they've been around forever, but it's definitely been one of those things where I'm like, it, you get burnt out on them and just, yeah, and the and the mechanics don't float the game for the forty or fifty hours that you're asking the player to get invested, um, and I think that also comes down to how often you're doling the story out because you know you can't have the story missions be every single mission. You can't write that much. You just can't write that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So you have all these sort of filler missions and side missions and and like gating content. You have to you know do these these activities and and it's um it's a tough balance to strike because you want that game to have the the value. You know what I mean? Like you, you spend X, X dollars on this game. You want to make sure you're not going to finish it in, in an hour or two. So you, there's this odd like fear of value proposition um, in, in all games, not just open world games. Um, yeah. So there's definitely like a we can't just release this small thing that is the story that we 
that we think it should be. I mean, you get a lot more of that in indie games. And honestly, like, that's kind of why I liked working at Telltale or playing Telltale games, because you can just play them in two, like, you can play an episode in two hours exactly, and get done with yeah. it. Um, and, that, and that's really tight. All it is is a story. Um, the mechanics are relatively, like, light, you know. So you're just absorbing a cool movie uh, before dinner, afraid to put your kids to bed or whatever. Uh, and then you can just feel like, yep, I, I can check something off my list, which is a nice mental thing to be able to do. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's, it's interesting. I think we'll have an interesting conversation if narrative isn't the thing that, that really brings you into a story. Cause I, it's for me, it, it is because it gives context to the things the game is telling me to do or to make, to make yeah. me want to do. Um, I, I think, I, that, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, I don't think that I would, I would want no story at all, but generally I just, I, I don't care. And I don't know if that's yeah. also maybe part of like the way I grew up with, with games because like I'm, I'm 35, like games didn't really have, I mean, they did have stories, but they were, you know, the mayor has kidnapped, no, the, the, yeah. the crime boss has kidnapped this girl and now you have to go and rescue her and like stuff like that. And that, that was fine. And it was just whatever. It was a, a bracket. The storytelling was, was the world design, you know, it was like, here's, mm-hmm. here's where this is going to be set. But it was never something like, I, I love movies and comics and TV and books. And that was where I, and where I still go for, for stories. But I think, if you're a kid growing up and you don't, you know, your first introduction to grand myth is like, I don't know, uh, Skyrim instead of Lord of the Rings, then you'll be like, oh man, games are brilliant at stories. Yeah. Skyrim is yeah, a bad no. example because I think that's a super clever. Way to tell <laughs> the story actually a really that, good game. Um, I think that's totally fair. It's actually, it's funny. Um, this is kind of vaguely what I gave my talk at GDC about. Oh, weird. Um, which is, well, the, 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 premise of the talk was sort of tips and tricks for designing and, and creating characters that your players can emotionally invest themselves in. And I'd sort of briefly touch on how back in the early days of sort of arcade games that the motivation was just survive. It was just kill or be killed and like win or lose. And um, that was really easy motivation because we as sentient beings understand survival. Like, right, you know, they explain that to, the, to anybody. You have to like give exposition on why you don't want to die. You just kind of get it. Um, That's interesting. And yeah. Yeah, and and also there's a really clean through line between what the player's avatar wants, even if he's just a little like eight bit pixel uh, spaceship or something. What the what the avatar wants, and what the player wants, is to survive for two different reasons, right? Like the the character in the game wants to survive because he doesn't want to die, um, you imagine, and uh, the player doesn't want to to, to die, the, the avatar to die because then the game ends. And like when you buy a game and you play it and the, and the game's like, all right, let's go save the girlfriend. You're like, yeah, okay, sure. I'm, I'm in. I don't know what this is about. I'm not emotionally invested in it, but I bought the game and I want to play it. So I'll do whatever it takes, whatever the game tells me to do to, to prevent the game from ending yeah. and getting a game over screen because I paid money for it. And I don't want to put another quarter in the machine. Um, so that's, that's how, that's the only motivation you really needed back then. And then over time we've sort of, started delving into the emotional connection part of the characters and can a game make you cry and all that sort of stuff. But you know, those games are extremely successful because they gave you, they give you like a, a motivation, which is just don't die, which is just super easy to understand and, and without any explanation. And that, that was all you needed. Um, so I think there's a lot of, you know, that's totally fine. That pragmatic, I don't want the game to end motivation is a totally fine one to, to give to the player. You can just put the rest of that stuff in the background, uh, in, in the, in the you know, instruction manual if you care about it you know absolutely well well speaking of, of formative games and what, what we first enjoyed games um I'll, I'll start with uh harrison what was your very first experience of a video game you know it's funny i've listened to a bunch of 
episodes of this podcast and I knew this question was coming and I've, I've been since then racking my brain to remember <laughs> what it was. Um, I don't remember if it was console or if it was computer. Um, so I grew up in Bermuda, um, which is an odd experience looking back on it. And we, I didn't oh, wow. have a ton of access to that stuff because it's a tiny island in the middle of the Atlantic. And so, well, um, is, the is latest, that, uh, I, I don't really know anything about it. It's a British Bermuda. colony. It is a British colony. Um, yeah, it's a British colony. It's east of North Carolina, so it's not in the Caribbean at all. It's like in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and it's what one mile by place 20 to miles. Grow up. Yeah, it's well. My mom's Bermudian and my dad's English, and they just. Uh, I'm actually born in Canada, which is another weird thing. So I was born <laughs> in Canada. They moved six months after I was born back to Bermuda, and I lived there till I was 15 years old. So all my formative gaming years were in Bermuda, um, and so I. The thing about Bermuda is it's it's everything's important because it's an island. So whatever the whatever's in the container is what you get, and that's it. So I didn't have the like breadth of uh, choice and option. It was just kind of what seven games were on the on the shelf this month, and then next month all those games would be gone. It'd be a new set of games, you know. So it was kind of like you you if you don't have fifty sixty dollars now. You might not get to play Half-Life. In fact, I never played Half-Life 1 when I was a kid because I didn't buy it and then it was gone. I never saw it again. Um, oh, man. Anyway, su- actually, answer your question. Things. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I just went on a, a, a ramble. Um, so I it might have been on the... Um, like the Macintosh Classic, like the One the one Piece okay. computer. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's just, yeah. It was like the computer screen and monitor in one, the kind of like vertically shaped Apple black and white machine. Yeah. I think my dad bought it to do like taxes for his business and uh, it came with a game called Dark Castle um, which was this weird side scrolling game where you were it was almost like a Castlevania but a really really primitive one but you didn't have a whip you just threw rocks at like bats and stuff and you had like to time the arc of your of your throw to like hit things above you or below you and it was that kind of same like you're kind of a small character on the screen and uh, you see the whole room and there's like, you know, change you can swing on and bad guys that are going to try to attack you. And it was just one of those like s- side scrolling left to right games. And I remember playing that with my cousins because I'm, I'm an only child. So my cousins, we would get together and play this game and we would swap off. Um, and we were sort of similar ages, but varying in age. So uh, I would ask like my older cousin to like help me get through the tough, tough levels and stuff. And I'm pretty sure that was my very, very first gaming experience. Was it like a formative thing? Did you did you start seeking out other games? Like uh, yeah. I'm I'm thrown now by the fact that you you grew up on Bermuda because yeah, it's is weird, that right? like a tropical? <laughs> is it tropical? Like it's subtropical. Yeah. So, so I imagine like of... you'd like to hang out outside all the time because it'd be yeah. great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't do a lot of gaming when I was really young. Like I had a tree fort and I and I swam a lot and and like went sailing and stuff. Um, but I mean, I went from that to being a complete like like computer nerd like like it was it, it, whenever i whenever it was that i discovered those things and actually got access to them i i dove in head first um so yeah it it i think it was just a game that must have come on the computer and then i started searching through the files looking for other things and just found the other sort of preloaded games on the on the computer and those are the only games i had access to just things like the wheel of fortune game okay. or solitaire or um, I think it came with like Math Blaster or something, something just some educational game. Um, and it was, and I was too young to do any of the math because it had like long division and stuff. And I was really young to, to know how to do that stuff. But I, I started understanding that like there were tons of different kinds of games because all of these games are so different from each other that they were, that they really just helped me understand that 
there were just so many types of games out there to play and I just wanted to experience them all. Um, and so, you know, as I got older and, and I, you know, I, at some point, I'm sure when I was very young, I got a, an, an NES, a Nintendo, original Nintendo for Christmas. And then I started playing Super Mario Brothers. And um, that was one of those things that like me and my father would play together. And then at some point, I'm sure that he bought his own computer. Uh, and I, I remember clearly he bought another Macintosh. It was like a Quadra 640 or something. <clears throat> and he kept trying to back it up. Like he like one of those like, old big tape deck, like magnetic tape deck yeah, backup. Yeah, yeah that held like a hundred megabytes or something. I was like, Ooh, a hundred megabytes. I'll never fill that up. Um, and it kept crashing on him. So he returned it to the shop and said, I'm never going to touch a Macintosh again. So then we immediately became a PC family from then on. Um, and I started playing games that I would like trade games with, with friends at school. Yeah. So yeah, we did like the shareware trading thing. And like back, this was back when, um, like you could get CD ROMs of like, a hundred shareware games you could get like like collections of shareware games so we would just share those cds around and then you know i got introduced to like doom and i get introduced to like command and conquer um which I, I played obsessively with friends over like the phone line because i didn't have any other way to do it back then um and um uh yeah and, and then my friend uh who lived nearby me had uh, all these like Apogee games like Commander Keen and, and uh, things like that that he didn't have a disc for. He only just had them pre-installed on his computer. So I would just go over to his house and play those games. Uh, yeah, so we did like the early sort of like shareware pirating uh, thing where you would have to like write down the manual, you know, because yeah. those, those games had like all the floppy <laughs> games had their like DRM just in like turn to page 75 and like write down the name of this Star Wars ship, you know, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I would like, write all those down on a piece of paper and take them with me. So that was kind of how I got my games back in the day. And was it like, was there a, not, not a scene necessarily, but like, were there sort of kid, the, the, the kids that were into games and the kids that weren't, or was it just like everyone was quite into it? Because I feel like it's quite, it would be a relatively sort of small, tight-knit community, right? Yeah, it was definitely. Um, there, I mean, it was, it's, it's as, it's, Imagine basically any normal sort of like nerds versus everyone else group in Bermuda, but in Bermuda it's just smaller. Like they just scale everything down by like fifty or sixty percent. So we, I, you know, I had friends and we all played games and we all, you know, talked about the secrets that may be in like Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past or the subworld stuff in Mario or whatever. We we all had those like rumors. Somehow I don't know how they got to Bermuda, but they somehow did. They, they <laughs> made it across the pond and they and they were there and we we would you know um because we didn't get a lot of the video game magazines so if someone was away or in, in the uk visiting family or in america visiting friends or something and they were able to get a magazine they would like we would covet it and we would just bring it to school and show it to everyone and that's how we would get that information passed along obviously this is much bef further before the internet so we just couldn't go down to the store and buy like a nintendo power and get all the maps for metroid or something we just didn't have access to that stuff so if someone brought that stuff back they'd be the legend that had the book that had all the secrets for, for link to the past in it you know? oh man that'd be so exciting because i mean yeah, it was yeah. exciting enough anyway but like to have not not have access to like all the magazines and things that just makes yeah, it, it was even like, more mysterious and amazing it was what's funny is that it made me gravitate really heavily towards adventure games um because i think king's quest five or six was in like pre-installed on my computer i think that was the first adventure game like like graphical adventure game. I think I must have played Zork a bunch and then just got bored of it because I didn't understand what to do. I was too young. Um, but I played a ton of King's Quest five and six. And and that, again, before the internet happened, I didn't. There was no 
going online and finding yeah those games you know, could last like a good year or so oh a lot, much longer because i didn't have a ton of friends playing them with me like i'd have one or two friends that were like the nerdiest of the nerdy friends that i had like all my other friends were not nerdy enough to be into adventure games they were like into <laughs> mortal Kombat stuff and they were like the cool nerds and then i was the adventure game nerd who who would like sit and what's funny is i did i did the most bermudian version of this right like i would go to the beach with my friends and we would be in the water swimming around talking about possible puzzle solutions for King's <laughs> Quest. You know what I mean? Like the palm trees are blowing and you have <laughs> like coconuts are falling. And we're talking about how to solve King's Quest on the beach, which is like the most stereotypical thing I can tell you. But it's absolutely true. Um, and, and so if someone went away and was able to get one of those magazines that just had like a questions and answers like mail in, mailbag that happened to have the solution to one of the one of the puzzles not even all of them then we would like rip that page out or we'd write it down and, and give it back to them or whatever and and that was enough to just keep you coming back to those things you know so how, how did your relationship with games kind of change as you got older so to so say like when you were a teenager did you kind of drift away from games and come back or, or were you always just i'm always into games no i think that i've always been into games i, I think that i my sort of like player psychographic is that of the explorer and i think a lot of that does have to do with growing up where i did where um there's bermuda just made up a bunch of little islands and if you go off on a boat for a while with a friend you can find an island there's nothing on it you can go exploring and just like push your way through some trees and do all sorts of that like sounds so amazing yeah it was great like young boy stuff you know so you can row off to an island and then just like just go through some trees and you can find a really old crumble down graveyard or something um and so i i but I always sort of like took those emotions into the games that I would play too. Like I, I feel I would like play... games should be rubbish though. Like when you say that, I, I immediately think of like Wind Waker or something because yeah. that that was amazing. Yeah. You 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 know sail about and find little islands with little things on them, or maybe not. But then yeah, to have it's access funny. to that in real life and then go to the video game, I feel like that yeah. would just be like oh, this is rubbish. <laughs> No, it's funny because when Wind Waker came out, everyone was like, uh-oh, this game's for Harrison. They made a game for Harrison. Like, that is that is his game. Uh, and I love that game for the same reason. I think, you know, no, it, it's that combination of things because in video games you can – the possibility space is actually much deeper, right? Like you can stumble through some trees, but then you find like a magic well and you pick up a sword and go on a, on a real adventure, like a real adventure, not a pretend adventure in, in the game, right? I mean, obviously it's all pretend, but – so you, I would – I would sort of my world would crisscross, right? So I would I would go on an adventure in, in the real world and then pretend to be playing Zelda, right? Playing Legend of Zelda with my friends, but in a like on an island and near a graveyard or whatever. And and so it definitely, I think that sort of cross pollination, that back and forth, really um, cemented in my like in my brain how how like it just got deeper into my brain than it might otherwise have. Like those games became more meaningful to me and like. The nostalgia now that I think back on them just is so much more intense because it was almost like those two lines, like the line between the reality and the and the fantasy were so blurred because I could kind like 80 percent of that fantasy. I could kind of live out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that, that's that's so exciting. So did you like was there a game or, or something that made you think this is something you'd like to do or did that come much later? It was definitely I could I remember the moment, actually. So um, my my mom brought back as as every game I ever got. My mom brought back from abroad Mist, um, and I played Mist, and I was obsessed with Mist for a long time, and um, I beat it after a long, long time. And then 
Uh, I enjoyed that game and I put I put it down. I'm like, okay, that was really really cool. I like all these islands. Surprise. Um, and then at some point, a friend of mine introduced me to Riven, and uh, this is probably right around 14, 15, right before I left and I went to boarding school. And uh, Riven was the game that I completely just went gaga for. Um, because, and, and, and you're going to laugh, but because it reminded me of Bermuda so much. Because, it, like, just the, just the photo realness of these sort of tropical islands. But it was, like, my home, but way cooler. Because there's, like, levers and switches and cool, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adventurous things you can do on them. You can ride a mine cart underwater and you can... You know, turn a a lever and you know make something pivot and some rusty thing opens up. You know, so it was like Bermuda Plus, and that's the game that really made me want to do that. That's the moment I think I finished that game and I I played it over like spring break, and I and I beat it in like five days because it's all I did all day. And uh, when it was done, I said, "That's what I want to do. I want to create worlds." Um, and I was a huge fan of like Cyan and all the other stuff they were working on. And I just said, "This is what I want to do." Um, so I, I knew then I didn't know how I would do that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, really yeah. know what that meant. Um, but when I started looking for, for colleges, I started looking for colleges that would do art and animation and 3d modeling and, and stuff like that. Because I, my, my goal was just to go to science and keep making those worlds forever. Um, at the time. So that's, uh, that's that, super interesting. Yeah, that was the just the, that, that the, the connection to your actual real environment is the thing that kind of really inspired you and thought i i i want to do this i could do this i think i wonder if that is because it was so like like for instance there was never a video game i played growing up set on like a housing estate in south wales because why would there be that <laughs> there's there's nothing grand or magical about that but a bunch of little islands in like subtropical landscape that's exciting but then you're yeah. seeing yourself reflected back onto you it was just you happened to grow up in somewhere that was a kind of a excellent fit for a video game world basically yeah it's weird because if if i had been anyone else it might have if my brain had been two percent different exactly, it might yeah. have just not hit me that way you know um but it was all the things that i love i love exploring i like little secrets i like um you know steampunk punky machinery and, and just it just it was all the common and you know i love my home and um it just was all the combination of things that was perfect to hit me and I think, you know, and, and to be fair, on the other side of the coin, though, you know, I do have to like I do find that that nostalgia hits me much deeper than it might other people. You know, it, like I try not to make gaming my identity because obviously that's one forming your sort of identity around one thing. Is Absolutely. Yeah, it's not good. But I, I think that it, it just it's so tied to my formative years before I went to boarding school, like my, my life and my, my memories is split up between two sort of periods of time. One is everything up to going to boarding school and then everything after that, like up till now. Because that those 15 years was just Bermuda time all the time. Um, I lived there full time. So everything that's exciting about being a young child and all the exploration and all the sort of like freedom that you have was wrapped up in living in Bermuda and video games and stuff. And I get really nostalgic and really sentimental easily about that stuff. Yeah. And I think that that can also be dangerous because you end up not just enjoying what you have now. Um, you always wish to go back to another time and nostalgia can be a good thing and it can also be a bad thing. And for me, those, those extremes are just, I feel slightly extended out on either, in either direction for, for me. Um, and so I, I try not to like heavily emotionally focus on that because I want to enjoy now as well, you know? Absolutely. 
So, so, so what um, what happened at boarding school? Where did where did you go? So, so I went from the exact to from where I was to the exact opposite. Um, I went to uh, Canada, which is not at all like Bermuda. Uh, as you can imagine, yeah. I was in St. Catharines. Uh, I went to a boarding school called Ridley, which is a fantastic school, um, like education wise. But I went from a, a small, very, very small community where my entire family, like my maternal side of the family, all lived within a few miles of each other. Uh, so I had a fantastic support network. I had, you know, I never was really bullied. The worst that would ever happen to me in Bermuda was I just kind of got ignored. Like I had my nerdy friends and we hung out in the computer lab and played Command and Conquer together. And that was that was fine. Like I didn't, I didn't ever feel excluded. I, I was still invited to parties and stuff. Everyone was still very nice to me. Um, and then I went to Canada, which is cold and dark and I didn't know anybody there and I didn't know anything about the culture really, even though technically I'm Canadian, like I didn't know anything about North yeah. American culture. Um, and I got bullied and it was a, it was all that, all of that just happened at the same time. Like it was that one big horrific blam. Yeah, it was I, I often like jokingly make my, my parents feel bad about it because um, I was like, well, well, they they wanted me to, to learn to be self-sufficient before I went to college, which is a completely fair desire. And, and sort of like because Bermuda is so small, you could easily just live there your whole life. And it's like living in a small town. You just can't leave very easily. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I completely respect where they were coming from. And on top of that, I have to re- remember that I'm extremely, extremely fortunate that my family could even afford to do something like that because yeah. I know a lot of people who would want to do that and just never got the opportunity to. So I try not to make them feel too bad about it. But now and again, I will tease them and say, I hope it was, you know, the, 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 the mental anguish I went through. I hope it was all worth it. <laughs> um, but like the school itself was great. I met some good friends and, uh, and, and I'll tell you what, I, it was easier to get games. I could get any game, you could get any game you wanted in, in North America. So I just, my sort of consumption of games definitely increased exponentially from that from oh my friend would come over and, and show me this game called hitman uh but then he'd take it back with him when he'd go home and i i, I got to play for 20 minutes or 30 minutes so now just being like i'm gonna buy hitman i'm gonna buy the second one and the third one and every other game with that <laughs> on it you know what i mean like you're, you're yeah, just yeah, able yeah. to dive in so deeply when you're in the place it just went from a drought to just a flood you know i'm, I'm curious i mean I'm, I'm sure like part of that is also the fact that it's cold and dark and you don't really know yep. anyone you yes. know that <laughs> games are an excellent comfort like, was there a specific game that you felt kind of helped you through that in a sense? You know, it gave you because that's that's what they can do. That's part of the, yeah. the appeals of games. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, uh, the Command and Conquer Red Alert three, I think, or Red Alert two, Red Alert two had just come out around the time that I went to boarding school, two thousand one, I think. Um, and it, I mean, that game is really goofy, but I that was a I've always been a Command and Conquer fan since I was a young kid, having to play on the phone line. And uh, that was a game where I, I went to a school where I just had a pre-established network to every other computer in the school. So a bunch of us kid, a bunch of kids had it at the same time, and we all could play it together. So I had these really large, like three v three, red alert matches that where I never great. had, I never really played. Yeah, it was fantastic. I like, never played a game on that scale before. I'd played one v one, and it was just my one friend. Like it would just be us playing. He was better <laughs> than me, so you'd always win. So, you know. So now, but now I, I have all of these people all the time, and then and then from there I transitioned into StarCraft, and I transitioned into other games. But it, it definitely was, um, oh, you know, someone's bought a new game. Let's all buy it together because it has a multiplayer component to it, like Unreal Tournament One and those kinds of games. So it was mostly multiplayer games that I could connect to people in a different dorm room yeah. 
And oh, you build uh, friendships and stuff. You build networks yes. of people, obviously. Yeah, and that was that was really, really helpful, especially when it's so cold outside you don't want to do anything, but you can still play those games. I think also at that time was my first experience with an MMO. I think it must have been 2002 when I was playing um, Ultima Online. Okay. Um, and what's funny about that is there was, because it's a, it's a boarding school, there was a firewall, so the there was no way to play games that connected to the internet at the time uh you can only play like local area network games so something had changed like they'd upgraded their computers or something so they, they'd done something on the tech side where for a brief like six month window there would you the, the ports were open the correct ports were open to play ultima online so i played that uh and that was an incredible experience too again because we're just connecting to a ton of people that i otherwise would never see stuck in my sort of dorm room in this cold you know, dark place. So that just like connecting with all of these people and seeing all of these things that I could do in this this virtual world was definitely an escape for me. Yeah, absolutely. And they're like the ultimate in exploration games because you know, mm-hmm. where's the edge of the world? It's, it's sometimes yep. you can go forever. Yeah, so, so perfect. Were you still thinking at this stage like, oh, this is something I'd like to do because you know you'd, you'd be prepping for university and stuff, I guess. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> I was taking a lot of art classes and. You know, my God bless them. My art teacher, teachers did the best they could with me because I'm just a, I'm not a great artist. <laughs> like, like I can't draw a straight line. Um, but I was still very much committed to doing that. I, I like I still didn't know what I would do necessarily. I didn't really. Know it's how interesting to... you went with art that you're like I just I guess people just draw them and then they they make them in a computer yeah. or something. Because you know I I've always been a visual person. Like I think that everybody has some sort of inherent talent that they just have genetically coded into them. And I think mine over the years, I've, I've decided that mine is something to do with being really observant. Okay. Uh, I can't really draw very well, but I can always look at something and be like, Oh, the ears are too small on that. Or something, this is off by 15 degrees, which you know, is not a very useful skill to creating your own things. But I've, I've always lent towards, um, art because I always loved art. Like I've always wanted to be good at art. Um, and programming, and it's funny because basically every person you've had on the show that I've listened to has been like, yeah, I love I love programming. I've always loved programming, like yeah. breaking the games open. I love programming. I just never did because, and I'll be honest with you, it seemed like a lot of work. <laughs> no, exact same. Uh, I'm the exact same. I mean, nowadays I do a lot more programming. And I sort of just force myself to do it. I'm not a great programmer, but I can build my own things, which is nice. But um, at the time, I just didn't even understand how you did it. I just, like, yeah. you, you write in a, te- like, a you open a text field is that you just open like notepad how did like what do you do <laughs> i didn't really understand how programs were built i didn't understand the logic behind them you know and i'd, I'd opened up like the dot ini files in like com- like an early command and conquer game and seen all the unit numbers and unit strengths and like created my own units with that shot different bullets than they should have and did different de- amounts of damage and got to see them like you click on the button and it builds it you know and it comes out with the name that you put on and that was really cool like that was my first experience you know quote unquote modding a game um but that made sense to me because it just said, you know, had name colon name of unit and then underneath it damage colon a number. And like my brain could, that was simple enough that my yeah, brain yeah. could handle that. Um, but like if then else statements and curly cues and semicolons and library, I just, I just, it was so intimidating and I didn't think that I was smart enough to do it that I just stuck with art and, and 3D animation. Cause again, like I wanted to create worlds. So I thought that the best yeah, way to do sense. that would be to just model things and, and, do that sort of thing. So, so where did you go to university? I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, um, and I foolishly like wanted to do everything. <laughs> like I, I, I wanted to do everything. So, I, um, I double major. Did I double major? No, I double minored. I think. Did I double minor? I don't even remember now. It's been so long. I had one 
major and two minors, yes. So I had a 3D animation major, and I minored in interactive design and game development, and which was a thing they offered there, as well as film must, and television. Was that quite new? Because that, that, they're, yeah, they're relatively was. new, like the game design yeah. courses. I think it's only like maybe 15 years, was the, some of the, one of the earliest ones. Yeah, that. it was it was pretty new. And it was mostly like creating levels in Unreal ED. Like it wasn't hardcore programming because SCAD is a visual arts college. Like right. they had some programming class. And these days it's much more like I, I go back to talk to, to, to people there and they have so many incredible classes that I'm jealous that I didn't get to take. But back then it was mostly you model some stuff and then put it in a 3D like a level for Unreal Tournament and that's, that's your portfolio. Okay. Um, so I did... Uh, interactive design and game development as a minor and I also did film and television as a minor because I've always enjoyed making little films and stuff when I was really young nothing serious but that sounds really good yeah it was it was a fantastic experience um, so I was doing 3D modeling and I, I was okay at it I wasn't terrible um, I got the basics I was able to, to put together some stuff again I was being I was observant enough to know why my stuff looked bad and then be able to fix it and, <laughs> and that's kind of literally just taking me through my entire career where I was built something <laughs> quickly like a i'm a, i'm a messy iterative game designer like i pulled something in really quickly i look at it and go that's crap but i know why and then i can sort of like build it into a decently shaped tower over time um and so i did a bunch of 3d animation stuff and it wasn't quite giving me like that feeling like i wanted to create worlds like it wasn't it was just like model a 3d character and then animate them and then sort of act them in, in a scene and it was really important and interesting and I was really enjoying it. But I also had that like, this isn't world building. You're not building a world. Yeah. You know, this isn't quite the thing you wanted to do. So I was taking an elective for the interactive design minor. I think it was a very early level design um, class. And I ended up making a puzzle room because, of course, I did. Like I made a mist style puzzle room based on the tools I had, which was like shooting at different colored squares on a, on a wall. Because it's like, all you have is a gun in an Unreal Tournament. Um, and I... I cared about it so much that I was up until four o'clock in the morning every every night for like a week um, and not because I was behind or not because I didn't understand things because I was just enjoying it so much yeah uh, and then when the project was done and I handed it in I just said to myself I should just do this forever <laughs> like if I'm willing to push myself this hard to do this I think this is probably and I didn't like I wouldn't even think about it at the time because I was just so into it yeah but I looked back on it and I said I didn't like I, I was so wired to make the best thing ever I was enjoying myself so much and I was just creating a world like this is me creating a world and logic and and rules and putting clues in there and building building a real believable thing which is what I've always wanted to do and yeah I switched my major like that week and I switched so what I did is I took my minor in interactive design and my major in 3D animation, I swapped them. So I still had 3D animation happening, but it was now my minor and interactive design was my major. And what were uh, you, you playing in university? Like, were there, because I imagine that was quite a rich time for, for games. So were you, were, like, are there any sort of standouts of video game experiences like through university aside from you kind of beginning to make your own? Um... Well, I played, so we, I played a ton of Unreal Tournament 2004. In fact, we had a group of people from all over, but they're all digital, um, digital media folks. And we all had the same, we all worked in the same digital media, media building at the time. So we sort of met lots of people that were doing visual arts or graphic design yeah. or visual effects. And so we were all kind of met people from there. And every weekend for like four hours, we would just go into one of the rooms. I just played in real tournament. We had like 10 people like consistently every weekend. 
Uh, and I just we just fell in love with that game because it, again, it's a game that you can play. It's so much more fun. Like the more people that play it, the more fun it is. Yeah. Um, and we even started to like make weird mods for it. Like we 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 didn't know enough to program how to do programming, so we just sort of like took the rules of the game and just bent them within the rules that already existed. Like there is a uh, a gun you can play t- like a team team versus team deathmatch with a with a rule called instigate where you have this laser gun it's just a, it's just a hit scan weapon and it just kills people instantly yeah. right so but if if you're on the same team as someone it just pushes them it just bounces them away from you so what we would do is we would play on uh facing world which is like the classic unreal tournament map and we put on low gravity as a modifier and and this instigate thing and what we would do is we would all just be trying to push each other off because it's the map's on an asteroid and it's a big tower in the center. So we were trying to like, get to the top of the tower, and when you're jumping in low grav, you're vulnerable because you're because you're floating in space. And you would we would just try to be pushing each other off the asteroid just to dive by falling off the world. So we just invented an entire sort of game style where you can't kill anyone, but you can bounce them around, and you're trying to get to the top of the tower without getting killed. And we just made up our own weird game. Um, that wasn't supported by the game rules really, but we just played that for hours and hours. That sounds really fun. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, a couple of years ago, um, a couple of friends and I made, like we did a seven day, the seven day FPS game jam back in 2014, I think. And we made it and we called it ultimate shove club. And I think it's on itch.io somewhere. You can probably find it. Um, and it was, is basically that, like we said, this, this is, that was really fun. Let's just make that into a real game. And we just did it over a week, you know, in, uh, uh, unity. Um, but yeah, so it was, that was my, another one of those. Hey, we can make a game that isn't that is our own. Like we created yeah. this on our own. Just it, it came out organically. Like we didn't do. Let's sit down and write a game design document. We just sort of were just fooling around within the systems that already existed, and we weren't hacking or breaking or modding or anything. It was just purely what was already in the game. Uh, and I'm sure that other people did the same. I'm sure we weren't the first to do that, but it definitely left a mark on me as far as you know. You can take the rules and just do weird emergent things with them and then players can create their own stories you know and the kind of how, how the smallest tweak can can change so much about like what the game is about you know yeah yeah absolutely and i i definitely as as who i am now i enjoy games where you don't have to kill hundreds and hundreds of people um because it's just it's not as interesting an interaction that you can have with digital characters I, I enjoy competitive games. I'm not great at them. I'm not a competitive type person anymore. I used to be. Um, but I like games that let you do other things. Like I, I for one of the um, global game jam uh, game days years ago, I made this like multiplayer asteroids clone, but you didn't shoot bullets. The only thing you could do is push asteroids around. So it was basically just a game where you tried to kill your friends by pushing them into asteroids. Um, I just I like to take a game and then say the obvious thing is to just put a gun in and just shoot. But what what can you do where you can like ca- you can win through odd sideways means? Like you can sort of just manipulate the world in weird ways and then just win that way. And I think that's yeah. just a more interesting, more fun thing that comes you know allows for weird emergent um, experiences that way. I think it's quite interesting. Like in my in my very limited experience of, of, of game jams, like all the ones that I've attended, which is like a handful. The an actual like just shoot 'em up is super rare. Like almost nobody makes that. Like, everyone is. I think it's just the the nature of the the video game scene at the moment. I guess, or maybe I've just been to really good game jams. But like <laughs> that, everything is all really experimental and fun, and everyone's looking yeah. for like new weird mechanics. Like nobody, 
nobody is just like, oh, let's just do a shooting game. Because that would probably be the easiest thing to do because you've only got like 48 hours or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I think that's totally a good, that's a really good point. I think it probably just comes from like everyone there is a fan of, a, of games in general and those games already exist. So what games don't exist that exactly, we would want? Yeah. So, so, so how did you, you sort of land your first job? How did you sort of start making progress? Like what was your, your plan, I guess? Yeah. Um, so I graduated 2008, which was the year the economy collapsed. Perfect. So yeah, <laughs> my, my, so truth be told, my, the way I got into the industry is not at all inspiring. It's not a story I would tell to like potential game developers to be like, Ooh, this is what you should do. Because, um, I, I just tried a lot and, and failed a lot. So I, Finished, there's a whole class at SCAD when you're ready to graduate, when you're in your final year, and it's all about your portfolio. So building your portfolio, building your website, building business cards, you know, going to GDC as a student, et cetera, et cetera, all the really important things to really sort of build your quote unquote brand. And my, my portfolio was okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm an okay artist, but I didn't really, I, I mean, I'm not like outstanding. So I had a, had a portfolio of okay stuff that was mostly just level design or things I'd modeled in 3D, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So I, um, I put this together and I mean, I was really proud of it. Like I, at the time I think I thought this stuff was fantastic. You know, like I can look back on it now and be like, well, it was okay. Um, and I, I had a couple of things lined up cause I had just gone to GDC or had applied to things online or I just, I'd done a lot of just pushing my, my name out there as much as I could. I didn't have any job offers when I, when I left school, but I did have a couple of like, Oh, maybe you can be an intern at Disney. Like I, had, I was in a phone call for an in, a phone, a phone interview for, for an internship at Disney. I was really excited. Maybe that would work out. None of that stuff worked out. So my first few months after I left, which is sort of the middle of 2008, I was just working on my portfolio day to day. So I basically just had a summer vacation cause I wasn't employed and I had a, uh, a, a sort of like student visa extension, like a work program extension that you can get for like a year. And did so you, so, you graduate, sorry, I, I realized I haven't mentioned this. Did you just, was this still in Savannah? Did you just stay there or did you go back to Bermuda or? No. So yeah, so that's a good question. I moved to Atlanta because of my, my roommate from SCAD had moved to Atlanta prior and I just went up to live with him. I was like, well, this is a good staging area. Atlanta is pretty you know, hub, pretty big hub. So it'll be a decent staging area if I get a job somewhere else in the country or here or wherever. So my plan was to just move up there and then just apply every single day to every, literally every single thing I could find. Um, so I did that. I kept working on my portfolio, just sort of like in the daytime, I worked on my portfolio and, um, applied it literally every single thing that I could possibly find online. Um, it didn't even, it didn't matter what it was. I, I was emailing people like, Hey, listen, I'll make the coffee. Like I'll, I'll bring in the donuts on the weekends. I just want to be a part of the studio. Give me a shot. Yeah. Just to get in um, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's really important to not be proud, especially when you don't have any experience. Like if they're willing to give you a job doing some menial thing, like take it. Were you not tempted to just do something on, on your own? Just like, or do something with some friends let's try and make a little indie game or something or were you just more interested in building things that's a really good question i've never really thought about that before actually i think let me think about it i i probably was just so wrapped up in the way that scad sort of packages you to go forward like this is this is how you do game stuff that i hadn't really thought about making my own thing i think the indie the maybe it's indie a scale game. thing because you seem to be into like big worlds and you know making big. Could you, have been. You, you can't necessarily do that with a smaller team. 
Yeah, that that actually that tracks too. I I think that indie games weren't really even a thing back then that I was aware of. Okay, um, and I didn't know you could. I mean, I knew you could. But the only things that were out there were like like flash games or like congregate kind of games, and I didn't. I didn't know that was a thing you could just do and make money on. I didn't know how that worked. So, and also, I just probably just didn't at the time think I could. So, so what, what, what did you do? Like, how long did this take before you kind of got a break? And was so, it a little bit? Was it ever quite disheartening? It it wasn't it, it wasn't glamorous. Um, I was unemployed for a few months, and my friend had been previously given a job at local in a local Atlanta sort of startup. Um, as a as an artist, and then because of startup culture, he became the arts director because he was the only artist, and they hired yeah. new artists. So then he became the art director magically. Um, and he, after a couple of months, and I'm not getting anywhere, he said, "Listen, do you want me to just get you a job? Do you think oh, I can I can ask him if you can work there?" Um, I said, "That sounds great. I want to pay the bills, so I'll do whatever." So he was able to get me an interview and get me a job at this small startup in atlanta and i was at the time honestly i was just resizing web banners would you still do stuff yourself though like just I, tinker with things and play yeah, around with things. yeah i continued to work on my portfolio i was working on a board game at the time that i had worked on it at scad with some friends like i was doing creative things on the side um and i was still applying to places i was still trying to work on my art portfolio and stuff like that um and i i did i didn't have any bites for a long time and 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 so a couple of months later, it must have been right at the end of summer, I think maybe October or November, uh, I got an email from a fellow named Lucas Bradley, and he said, hey, listen, I'm I'm looking for a game designer, game developer that, that has Flash experience, because this is obviously 2008, Flash was still the kind of like go-to for, for online yeah. games. Uh, I need someone who's local and can do Flash, look, you look like you have Flash experience and, and you can do game design, uh, would you be interested in, in sort of like talking to me? Uh, and he, he, the name of the company at the time I hadn't recognized and I looked it up online. I didn't really find anything. Uh, so I was like, I, this is obviously not a big break. Like it's not like Sony came to me and like headhunted me, but, uh, I said, yeah, okay, let's have a conversation. Why not? There's no reason not to. So I went to his, the office, which was literally, as I said earlier, it was just his garage yeah. where they, uh, like uh, the space over his garage. And we've had a conversation about what I wanted to do, what he needed, et cetera, et cetera. And then he gave me a job offer and I started doing that. It was actually kind of a difficult decision because the office I was in for the startup was this really cushy office in this nice like building in downtown Atlanta and yeah, I had this yeah. really kitchen and all this stuff, you know, and then it was just like this guy in his garage that has a bathroom, <laughs> you know, four other guys there. And I was really like, should I take this? This seems strange and, and, and maybe we'll go nowhere. But, you know, at the time I was, 25 maybe 26 and i was like this if it goes sideways i'm young enough to bounce back whatever happens i'll probably yeah. be fine so i just said yeah okay let's do this and i started being the game designer for this company called thrust interactive and how did he find you i think probably just through linkedin or um that yeah it must have been like one surely. of those sort of surely nobody uses linkedin for yeah right yeah no i think it, either that or um, oh, I'll, I'll tell you this as well. I when I when I first moved to Atlanta, I did everything I could to find local game developer chapters and just go to that, like go to their meetings. Um, so I, the week I was in Atlanta, I looked up the Atlanta G, uh, IGDA chapter, and there's a local Georgia one called the GGDA, the Georgia Game Developer Association, and I went to all their meetings. And I met as many people as I could. And on my very first meeting, I'd been in Atlanta for like a week. Uh, I got stuck in the elevator for an hour. <laughs> 
so I'm going up to like the top of some high rise building and the elevator stops. I'm stuck in the elevator for an hour and I'm like, well, this is going to be a really nice way to introduce myself to these people. Um, and so I get to the top and, and, and the, uh, the door opens and I go in and half the meeting's already over. And so I go in and I explain my, I'm like, I, I, I signed up for this thing. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't show up. I was stuck in the elevator and it just became, I just became that elevator guy. <laughs> like, oh, you're the elevator guy. So I just kind of like use that as my, yep, I'm the elevator guy. Who, what do you do? That's good. Uh, it's my, instant icebreaker yeah. with everybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that, I think that that networking really helped and they might, so, so Lucas might have heard of me through people I met in those circles <laughs> dear the um, elevator guy yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> have you heard of the elevator guy um right I, i'm gonna take a brief aside to ask some relatively they never are but relatively quick fire questions sure. um so harrison if you had to play a game with death for your very mortal soul what game are you best at um i played a lot of unreal tournament t- 2004 a lot i got really really good at that game um, I'm not a shooter like guy really. Um, I prefer turn-based strategy games because my fingers don't move that fast. I yep. just can't do things that fast, but I just, I think just through playing it with friends constantly who are much, much better than me, I became really good at that game. Um, I'm probably not like, I couldn't win a tournament at this point, but yeah, for a long time I was, I was like the, the reigning champion of our group on that game as i sort of got better and better at everyone else so that would be my pick and but you you mentioned this earlier that because my next question is are you a competitive uh, gamer and have you ever been locked into some crazy high score battle with somebody but you um you said you were and now you're not so i'm, I'm yeah, wondering there's if there's no a story, story behind, behind that. that i just i just decided that i don't gain like i want to play games to have fun um and like and enjoy an experience um, and I, I enjoy competitive games. I play a lot of Smash Brothers with friends, but I, I don't want to go to tournaments or like make that my job, like become a professional because then it just takes games and makes them something I don't want them to be. So have you ever been um, become kind of obsessed with chasing a high score or, or being a champion outside of Unreal, I, I suppose? I, yeah, a little bit. I, I played a lot of Smash Brothers in college. That's another game I played uh, as long as, along with Unreal Tournament with, again, with people who were just absolutely incredible, like local scene tournament champions were my roommates. And so I would play with them and just get destroyed over and over again. And I, over time, got kind of better and better. I was never able to beat them, but I always wanted to. Like Those ones or, one or two times you come really, really close. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you play yeah. someone very much better than you, but you get so close to coming, like to beating them. Um and I was really competitive on that kind of thing for a while. And also while I was at Thrust, um, uh, Geometry Wars Retro Advanced had just come out, oh. which is like a leaderboards game. Um, and everyone in the office had an Xbox 360. And that's when I, I that was when I first started getting into indie games. I bought an Xbox 360 just to play Braid. Yeah. Um, and like Castle Crashers and all those sort of early Xbox Live Arcade games. But then Geometry Wars was this game where everyone in the studio was just fighting each other for the high score and we were at my boss's garage so he just go into the house and play for like an hour and come back so i would like spend all night trying to beat his score and i'd be like coming the next day be like, hey lucas guess who's got the new high score and he, he would just say like okay i'll be back in 15 minutes and he'd come <laughs> back and be like got three million i'd be like god damn it i spent all night trying to do that so that, that was there was a little battle there for for that kind of thing but i've definitely that definitely isn't where i go for enjoyment i don't i, I get more enjoyment out of exploration type things than i do from beating a friend's high score i still feel competitive like i see my friends have high scores on like the new doom ar- arcade mode the new the new yeah, the 2016 yeah. doom i'm like oh, i'm gonna beat that guy's score um 
but if I don't, I don't get upset about it at all. No, I, I do. I do love that. Like that, there was. Uh, there hasn't really been anything recently that compares. But like Geometry Wars and and Trials HD, those were both. Oh man, yes. so yep. Like the perfect kind of score chasing games, and I can't can't even tell you how many hours I, I wasted trying to beat people's high scores. I can imagine though, because I probably did the same. Exactly. And it's funny because then you get really upset because you're like 15 points away, and you're like so close you're having the best run of your life and you're so close to beating your score you've been playing all night you know you're 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 up until four in the morning or whatever <laughs> and you're 15 or 16 points away from the beating and then you die and you're like are you kidding me i'll never this will ever happen again well you know? this is this is a perfect setup for the next question harrison which is uh if you're prone to such things what is your worst rage quit i've only so i did yes i have those <laughs> uh I'm a passionate guy. No, so when I was really young, I would be playing uh, Mega Man 2. And that was the game that made me bite my controller. Oh, that's, like, this bite is it. good. This is a new one. Yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> bite it to the point of leaving teeth marks in it. Um, Did it still work afterwards? Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't break it. But I would, like, I would just dent all the plastic around. I wouldn't chew on it. I would just like, you know when you like, like I can, I can bite on a pillow so and scream kind of thing. I just sympathize. like, like just put it in my mouth like a like a like a rawhide <laughs> and just like bite down on it. I was so mad because I didn't want to scream. I'm surprised I never um, thought of that as a kid because I think I probably did most other things. But yeah, that's a new one on me. I like. I didn't want to throw my controller because either it would wake my parents up or uh, it would break it. And I, I wanted to keep playing, you know. So I was the closest I ever. I like. <laughs> I, I think like B like the the little little red indented buttons like the B and A button definitely had like chew marks on them for me being upset about that it. is amazing um and the other one i had was uh and i alluded to this earlier where i would play with my friend daniel we would play uh command and conquer the very first command and conquer and during the summer summers in bermuda i would run the uh phone cord because we only had one phone in the house so when i was on the internet not even the internet just call like dialing the number pushing the number of like the ip number into the computer yeah. to, to connect to his computer uh they couldn't use the phone line so I only had like permission to do that every so often. So it was a big treat to get to play multiplayer. Uh, and he would just always beat me like every single time. I'm like, okay, this time I'm going to build all the, and, and I'm, I like, I then, this is when I first learned about just like rushing people with a hundred of one type of unit. I was always like, no, I'm going to have this squad of guys. And then this squad of guys, I'm going to go in with these guys. I'm going to bur burrow under the ground with these guys. I had like a whole tactical plan planned out and he just stormed in with like a hundred tanks and just <laughs> destroyed me. And I was so upset because I thought I should win because I had the smarter plan that I like ripped the phone cord out of the wall <laughs> or like I just like to try to pull the cord out of the computer and I just pulled the phone cord right <laughs> out of the out of the wall. Uh, and I yeah, that was I think probably like when it comes to competitive with other people rage quit. I think that's probably the worst one I ever had. <laughs> but since then, I, I just I just don't do that anymore. I've I've renounced my ways. <laughs> Um, that is that is good because you know that's that's a lot of replacements, <laughs> a lot of replacement yeah, phones. Right, like yeah. Um, this I, I try and ask everybody about this because I think it's one of the like comedy is one of the rarest genres of video games. So have uh, what games have really made you laugh? I mean, basically any LucasArts adventure game has made me laugh. Um, like Grim Fandango has made me probably laugh more than any other game and even some of the early telltale games like when it was still like an adventure game yeah um, it made me laugh early early like monkey island like ron gilbert era tim schafer era like lucasarts adventure games really really made me laugh a lot and i'll tell you even like more modern games like uh, final fantasy 15 which is one of those games that 
either everyone loves that you know or everyone hates that you know. Um, They're both. That game is just every everything in the game is just designed to delight. Um, and I, I just it, it's so cheesy. Like all the dialogue is so cheesy. But there's just been moments when something so cheesy happens and all the characters just react to it completely straight. <laughs> That I just laugh like it's such a funny thing for all these characters to be taking this so seriously or like someone will like one of the characters will when you beat, beat uh, some enemies will sing the like Final Fantasy victory yes, music yes, yes. and they'll all react to it and just it, I guess I don't, it's not like a gut buster but I always just like laugh out loud just in, in, and just joy um, which is really rare for video games to just embrace and I, I really just and, like game mechanics aside I think that's the thing that makes me keep coming back to that game is just how joyful it is yeah like the, the, those kind of that's such a simple thing the, the other game that like i, di- I didn't I, I i couldn't get on with final fantasy because like i loved everything about it except playing it if you know what yep. I mean. like it's sure just, no totally I'm, doing, I'm not really doing anything but the, there's uh do you ever play the edf games the earth defense for defense force games you just run around shooting giant ants um that sounds incredible it is, it is it's brilliant and one it's just such a tiny thing that they do is when you're doing well, uh, all of the, your, your sort of AI troops, all your, your, your sort of other c- controllers, all just start chanting EDF, EDF. And, it, and it's brilliant <laughs> because it's, you That's just suddenly awesome. feel... Because it is, the whole thing is presented as this kind of really wacky, cheesy B-movie. And the game itself is kind of very rough and ready in some places. But just the, it has such a sense that it totally knows what it is and plays to those yep. strengths. And it's, uh, it's amazing. That's awesome. Like there's a game that definitely made me feel that way uh, in my boarding school era, which was Giant Citizen Kabuto. Um, was that which like was a GameCube a, game? No, it was a it was a PC game, and um, I can't remember who made it off the top of my head, but it was a weird like genre busting experiment that I don't know how successful it was. But you start off and it's like a third person shooter, like a very of that era third person shooter, uh, and all uh, the factions these like aliens in like spacesuits, and they all like really like stereotypical English accents and then you transition to another faction and there's like these odd alien like Naga serpentine female characters and they all use like magic and stuff and then they're all in this world the setup is they're all in this world and there's this giant uh like just roaming around just like eating things like it's massive like cyclopean sized thing and and you can actually play the giant and you are just a mouth around the camera. It's weird that his eyes are inside his mouth, but you just have like teeth around the camera <laughs> and you just pick up things and eat them and you just become the like, Godzilla monster. And as the game, and it's, it's written, I don't know if it's an English game or what, but it's written in a very English fashion. And, uh, uh, the, 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 it's very humorous and very like tongue in cheek and very cheeky. And then it becomes like a base building game out of nowhere. It becomes like an odd third person RTS where you're building structures and healing them. And then like, it's almost the way that, that, um, uh, brutal legend suddenly just pivots and becomes like a base building, like multiplayer game. Um, but goofy. And so like, I think that was one of the first games I played of the modern era that was like intentionally cheesy and comedic. Like that was the era of like Hitman and SWAT and a lot of like Diablo and a lot of, much more serious that like, games are and can be intense experiences period so this game was just really really cheesy and brightly colored and it was it just reminded me like oh yeah games can just be silly and that's okay it's actually i'm, I'm i had to google it and it's the it was the first is it like the break-off studio from shiny when shiny collapsed and yes after okay, mdk yeah. they went off and made planet moon and this was their first game planet moon yeah that's right 
Uh, that's, that sounds brilliant. I do I do love that kind of playfulness, and like it's nice that you're starting to. It's weird, like because th- th- there's been a lot of I've chat recently with kind of that kind of middle tier kind of game kind of vanishing mm. a little bit because that's a really unique, weird idea, but it's also has I, I imagine like um, comparable sort of production to like other games on the shelf at the time. Whereas now you have yeah. a lot of these cool ideas, but it tends to be you're either either side of a spectrum, and there's very little room in the the middle. Yeah, I agree. And and again, I I mean, I wasn't in the industry at the time, so I can't even speculate as to what the the forecast of things were, you know. But I I definitely feel like there was much more mid-sized studios yeah. or even smallish studios doing weird things that still would be on a big box on a on a shelf, absolutely, like Fable and stuff like that. It was just like an incredibly ambitious experiment that was we like never been done before you know um just because let's just see if we can let's just see if this is something that people want and i i really do i mean you get a lot of that more in the indie scene now but yeah that like weird mid-level expensive to produce game that is supposed to sit next to like half-life 2 on the shelf um and compete for that same dollar um i do miss those days a lot for sure um so so after how, how, how did you end up sort of leaving thrust like how did you end up like where you are now i guess was that just like um, the same sort of process of applying things and getting in basically yeah yeah honestly it was exactly the same i um I, when i started feeling like my knees were hitting the back of the seat a bit where i was just like okay i'm not learning anything new i've sort of outgrown this role yeah. um i went to gdc 2010 and i just had a stack of resumes and i gave a resume out to every single every single company in the expo hall and back then gdc had just a career pavilion that was nothing but recruiting booths um, companies have sort of sort of shied away from that in more recent years, but I, I literally even companies I didn't really want to work for, like small or mobile studios or things that I just wasn't really interested in. I just put a resume on every single, literally every single company in the entire expo hall. Um, even if they weren't recruiting for a position, I'm like, can you just take my resume anyway? And while I was there, Telltale Games had a booth, and um, I, I loved Secret of Monkey Island. I'd played a bunch of their games. <laughs> And I said, oh, man, I have to go see them. I have to go see them because I love adventure games, and they're really the only game in town making them. Yeah. So uh, I went to their resume. And was this kind of prior to-, to the kind of the resurgence with Walking Dead? Yes, yes. I, I got there before Walking Dead was shipped. So uh, they, they were working on Jurassic Park at the, at the time. Okay. So they had like a demo for Jurassic Park uh, at the booth. And I went up there and I said, you know, I'm Harrison. I'd like to give my resume, blah, blah, blah. And the fellow behind the, the booth um, he, well, he, he was like, okay, cool. And he started talking to me and I, I told him how much of a mist fan I was. And we started like, and he's like, oh man, no way. And we started like just geeking out about mist for a minute. Uh, and he was like, he was all smiles. So I, what happened was I saw two, two stacks of resumes, one much larger than the other. And his, and the whole time we're talking, his hand is just hovering over the larger stack. And I'm like, oh man, it was great talking about Mist, blah blah blah. And I just saw him like move his hand over to the smaller stack and put my resume in the smaller stack, <laughs> uh, which I guess was the yes stack. Um, so I I can fully just thank Mist and and a connection with someone who played Mist for getting me that job or That's at least amazing. giving me the opportunity to get that job. Um, so yeah, and I just went through the, the process. But yeah, it was definitely every single company I give my resume to. And what the funny thing is. The serendipitous thing I should say is Telltale is the only company that called me back. <laughs> um, even companies that were like, this sounds really good. I'm going to give you my per- personal business card. and We're going to have a conversation after you get home from San Francisco. Never heard back from any of them. Telltale is the only company that said, we're interested in you. Let's have a phone interview. So 
that could have been gone nowhere and I would have had nothing. But luckily, it just happened to work out. That's amazing. So, yeah. like, was there, aside from just, you know, feeling you were, you were hitting your kind of skill level uh, uh, thrust or, you know, you weren't you weren't learning new things, were there, were there games that you played during this period that you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing, like, and gave you this itch to make something different? Yes. I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft at the time. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, I tell people that I played WoW nowadays and they kind of laugh at me. It's just like, oh, it's that digital crack, which has kind of gotten that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gotten that reputation. I actually but missed like, that question. Was, that, that was, that, that's usually one of my quick fire questions is, is there a game that you kind of spent too much time on? And why was definitely the usual answer? Yeah, I mean, that might may even come off as somewhat stereotypical, but like that game. So here's, here's the thing about that game is my only MMO experience before that was Ultima Online. So this game was incredibly detailed, rich, beautiful. And I, I, I liked Blizzard games before, but I was never like a big Warcraft fan. So I didn't really know a ton about the lore or anything. I just enjoyed it as a fantasy universe, just like every other. And I made my character. I played at the beta, I think, when it first was coming out. And I made my character... Uh, and I went through the starting zone. I was at level 10 or something. And it's all like one zone. And then I, there was no request. I'm like, okay, I guess that's, I guess that's it. Um, I guess that's as far as the demo goes. And then I got a quest to go into the next zone and I like followed the road and I went into the, the next piece of map and I opened my map and it was an entirely new area. And all the, all the architecture was different. All the trees, like all the, or all the textures were different. All the enemies were different. And I was like, holy shit, like this game is like huge. Like this game keeps going. Um, and so I don't know why and maybe they didn't have the map function or some for some reason I didn't have I didn't get to see the, like the full world map like this is the entire world whether it was my own ignorance of the UI or it wasn't implemented yet or what I didn't I didn't know the game extended past the first zone so when I first realized like oh my god like this game goes on forever like I wonder it's made me go wonder what else is out there and yeah. it really triggered that weird Bermuda exploration mode where I just wanted to see it all uh, and so I, I definitely, I mean, you know, after you play an MMO over time, you just become a master of it and there's no, no surprises left. Even when there's new content, it's like, yep, yeah, it's more of that. Let's just go do more of that stuff. But for the longest time I was just exploring and seeing, where does this boat go? Should I, can I sneak onto this, the enemy faction's boat and see where that goes? Can I, can I see their town? And, uh, and I just spent a, a ton of my, of those years playing that game. And it was one of those, it was the game that said, told me like, this is, it's just incredible. It's absolutely, I've never experienced anything like this i i've never had any game like i've never had a game experience that doesn't just have a, a beginning middle and an yeah. end i played a ton of hitman i, I re replayed a ton of hitman i played every game that i played was 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 somewhat linear you know um and this was the first game that just went and went and went and you just, it was what you made of it you could craft a bunch of stuff you could you could harvest resources and sell them to people you could just be a person who sits on the auction house all day you can just do anything you wanted to do and that was so it was just the perfect thing for for the kind of gamer that i am it sounds like like a lot of people uh, myself included i think like i purposefully never played way because i knew that i would love it and and i'm not <laughs> i don't know if it's like sort of uh, like I, I joke about this like i was like it's this catholicism thing of like i was brought up a catholic and therefore i feel guilty about everything but i know for a fact <laughs> that if I really indulged in World of Warcraft, regardless of how much fun I had, I would feel guilty about it. Whereas I've got, <laughs> I've spoken to friends that, you know, they 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 went all in on World of Warcraft and they, you know, they they played it all the time and and they just they're like, yeah, it was brilliant. I had, I had a great time. 
and I don't think I'm equipped to do that. I wouldn't be able to justify it. I'd, be, I'd feel too guilty to enjoy it, I think. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I think that I definitely had a group because this was, it came out when I was at, at, in college. So I had a group, a small group of friends, and we were all in a little guild together and we played together. Um, and I, like I said, I didn't have, I didn't know to avoid it. I, it was an incredible experience that, like, I never played, I just didn't know about other MMOs. I didn't really know anything about EverQuest because I just, a lot of that skipped me because I was in Bermuda and I couldn't really yeah. play with anyone in Bermuda. So a lot of the MMO, early MMO, experience missed me so i was like the entire 3d mmo thing packaged with world of warcraft just production values and size it was just like a an extra large dose on me at once um so it wasn't like oh yeah this is just another mmo just like the other ones i've played it was it was the very first experience that was so intense that i didn't know to avoid it um i probably i may i might have but you know you're in college and you're like i got time to play with my friends and it's a cool game um and it's definitely a game that you know I still play now and again, but it's it's always the, the the joy of it was always exploring with my friends and making experiences with my friends and getting into fights with the opposite faction and getting beaten up over and over again, uh, but then getting a moment to get back at that guy when he's not looking. It's just silly things like that that uh, really are just memorable experiences for me playing that game. And it's interesting uh, actually going back to what we sort of were talking about back at the back at the start about the 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 role of stories in games i think where is a perfect example of it's a game just packed with you know some really good lore and kind of history and world building but all of the best wow stories are things that people did themselves so self-imposed like that one time with this guild and that fight and you know it, it it's a perfect storytelling machine you don't necessarily yes. need all the the law i mean it helps a bit i guess but it's not that's not the story you're telling you're telling your own story and here's a canvas to do that you know yeah absolutely absolutely i i think it, the story in what i'm a big wow like lore geek but i'm a lore geek for basically any game that has lore okay um because of who i am but but i at the time i wasn't and i but i liked the the story was the sort of background coloring to my story mm -hmm. so as you said like just knowing that like i was the on the bad guy side and we would go fight the good guys in this forest surrounded by elves and stuff it just it, it added the rich to the richness of yeah. the, the story so that's the value that it, I, I had for me so like for a while i was in charge of this guild i called the privateers and we were all pirates it was like a pirate theme back when you know pirates ninjas was like that was a big old internet thing um before that was like burned out and and tired i i had this pirate guild and what we would do because there weren't enough of us to raid like i never did any raid stuff um we would just make our own end game content by ourselves because it was like 12 of us and that wasn't enough to do a raid so what we would do every thursday night we would uh Put on pirate hats and have little pi parrots, uh, uh, um, <laughs> pets that you can you can have, and we would all run from uh, this particular town in like a forest to this alliance town that's like on a little island in a lake in the same forest, and we would just go in and just occupy the town, and we would scream like you can like hit like slash yell and it yells out loud, and we would still yar a bunch <laughs> and we would just run in a group, and we'd have other people follow us, and I would say like, you can only join the group if you have a pirate hat and a, and a, and a parrot. Uh, and we would just occupy this town and just kill all the NPCs and just hold the town because we were all max max level, and and um, 
kill all the low level guys, but then they would call in their friends that were high level or get on their high level characters and a big fight would erupt. And then, you know, we've got more reinforcements from our side. It was every Friday night or every Thursday night, all these, the pirate guys are going out to do this <laughs> thing again. Uh, and eventually we would get completely stomped because way more high level people would show up with way better gear than, and we would just retreat and run off. But it was a good like two hours of just being pirates, I guess. Um, and, the fact that all the game had that content, like you can have yeah. pirate heads, you do have these like parrot pets that you can you can do. You can yell at, at at in the entire channel. You can just fly into a forest and then just run on the road to an enemy town and just kill all the NPCs, even the quest givers. You know, we would occupy that town for a few hours. <laughs> and the fact that the game gave you all of that freedom was unheard of to me. Like I'd never seen a game that allowed for that kind of storytelling. So, so like over the past kind of. I guess it was seven or eight years since you sort of started at Telltale and those sort of places. Yeah, I've been, I've been doing games for about nine total, yeah. but that's including all my thrust years as well. So, so over this this period, like how how has your relationship with games changed? And I guess I'm I'm thinking of like, has there still been games that have come out in the last couple of years that have really had 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 an impact on you in the same way these kind of formative video game experiences would? Yes, I think that it's much more rare now. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that most of the game developers that you've interviewed have probably said the exact same thing I'm about to, which is, you know, it's really hard once you pierce the veil to sort of put it Absolutely, back. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, you, you, even playing Final Fantasy, in a, like a game that I was just gushing about for how much, how joyous it is, it's really easy to be like, oh, that's how that system works. Like, I wonder, oh, they're wondering how they're rendering this thing that way. And it is hard to turn that, like, creator brain off. Um, but... I honestly, I think that the games that have had the most significant emotional impact on me are uh, small independent games where I don't need to try and figure those things out. Yeah. Like they aren't either. They're not like technically incredible. Like, ooh, I wonder how they did that interesting streaming thing, um, or whatever other reason. I just don't focus on those things, and I'm able to just experience them fresh or, or more so. So the game that uh, had its the, the really deep it really hit me deeply was um bastion uh, okay and uh i played that game at a specific period in my life where i was you know going through some difficult times and i this was probably within a year or two of me moving out to california and i was still kind of i was still in a uh, healing place like I was seeing a therapist and it was just um, a, sort of a long period of emotional like personal growth that I was going through okay. and um, you know still trying to like okay let's put those memories of this this particular event behind us and move forward and that game is literally about dealing with trauma or at least how I interpret it uh, and dealing with a bad event I don't know if you've played it or not I have yeah no, um, I love I love Bastion yeah so at the end and and uh, I'll try not to spoil anything but you have this decision to kind of like deal with this big bad event in one of two specific like emotional ways and i i picked the one that made the most sense to me at the time and just the vo and the the writing and the like music i was all just like perfectly kind of like you can't go back but you can go wherever you want kind of thing yeah and like i didn't cry but I came really close to it and I had, I had a friend over at the time like staying with me because he was looking for a job in California too and I just had to like leave the house and walk. I took a walk for like half an hour just to like add this new information to my like mental model of the world I guess. Uh, I, I just, it, 
whether I don't know what the intent was necessarily. I don't want to speak for the creators, but it it was just the exact thing I needed to hear at a very difficult time, and it really resonated with me. It just helped me, like it just it, it's almost like someone took my like mental camera and just like moved it to the left a little bit. Yeah. Like, oh look, this, everything's fine on that side of like it's everything's like crumbling and sad when you're looking at it. But look, look over the, on the left and this it's some nice stuff over there. Um, and it was the perfect thing that I just needed to start to really ungum the gears that, like the emotional gears that I was having trouble kind of moving again. What, what, what had uh, happened, if you don't mind me asking? It was just a, a relationship, like an like a end of a relationship that was particularly um, difficult to get through. Like yeah. I, I ended it, it was before I moved out here, but it was just a, a relationship that was not healthy. Yeah. Um, and I, I do find those... that like so, like games can be so good at that, like. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I mentioned this on the show before, but it's it's a really strong memory I have of uh, when I was like eighteen or nineteen, I guess, and um, I was playing the the longest journey. Do you ever play the longest journey, mm-hmm. the Ragnar Torquist yeah. adventure game? And there is a line in the in the instruction manual. Um, it was like a, it, on the back page, I think, and it was part of the the FAQs or something. And the, he had written in a line to say like. Uh, th- this game is, you know, for fans of adventure and all this stuff, and it is also the the perfect cure for a broken heart. And mm. you know, I was like nineteen; I was having my heart broken every couple of weeks. Yep. And then, yep. and it totally yep. was. It was that was exactly the, like it was so soothing in, in the way it was presented. I'm sure Bastion, especially like the music in Bastion, is amazing. Like the, the, that yep. that soundtrack is so good. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It's funny. I think for me, the very first time that happened to me was when I played Another World. Yes. Um, yes. And that game, I, I don't I remember. I was really young or young enough when that game came out. I don't think I'd had any like particularly deep trauma in yeah. my life. But I'm sure I was just having a bad day or something. And that game was just another game where I'm like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine. And it's weird because you go to an alien world in that game and it's really like this bad guy's trying to kill you. It's not like an introspective game. Um, but it, it just it, it did the same thing or just it was just that perfect sal. But yeah, Bastion. Um, it, it, it's the music, it's the setup, it's the story, and it's also just the narrator, like that that voice actor, mm-hmm. and the and the writing. It's just it's just so that like deep, gravelly, fatherly, like wise advice voice, um, and it just was very like it was very emotionally um, uh, warming in a way that was like the, the, the just the voice actor and the lines and the music. Yeah, was it just felt it made me feel cared for in an interesting way um because it was it just has all that like we're here for you it's going to be fine we'll get through this together and all the credits like all the credits i want you when you make your choice there's like uh, um concept art of all the characters like living their lives together that you've saved and just like living day to day cooking sleeping and going to new new worlds together and all of that is just the perfect like bam 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 all these things came in at the the same time and it just was this perfect like uh thing to help me get through this really emotionally pretty emotionally toxic situation that i was in and be like it's okay it's all right healing takes time you know we can't go back we can't fix who we were we can't change what happened we have to just absorb it as part of ourselves and i think i think games are really unique in what they can offer with those sort of uh issues in like you know you can get the same kind of um catharsis through like you know films and books and and music Mm. and stuff but with with a game like you've done something like you have played a part in this process and your choices have led to this so i think there's something really like 
special about that that you know if it hits you at the right time it's it's perfect yeah i agree completely i think that even if it's a linear game with no choices like you the player yeah achieved thing with other characters i, I talk about this in my, my gc talk actually like if you are you and a, an npc character are trying to strive for a goal together you're going to form an emotional bond with that character no matter what like there's just no way to avoid yeah. it and like the fact that it's interactive means it's you like it's you you form that bond it's not the character forming that bond you did um and yeah it's it's something that's un uh, it's untouchable by other mediums because this is the this is the inter- interactivity medium absolutely um i think i think that's that's quite a nice place to to finish up but if there's if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up or anything you wanted to mention um like please do or just you know let people know where they can find find your things i'll leave with a with a humorous anecdote to bring the tone up a little bit how about that okay okay let's uh, do that uh so in bermuda there's no uh there was no internet um, but bbs has existed and around the time i was playing for, uh, um king's quest 6 okay and i was stuck i've been stuck for about a year i think <laughs> and i found that i could call in to a bbs to get hints but it was an international call so i my parents gone out for to go to the grocery store or something and i i snuck in i plugged the, the phone line into my computer and I, I dialed this american phone number which was an international call and i knew that i had about 30 seconds before it would cost so much that my parents would notice yeah. the, the charge so i was like rushing through i never i'd never used anything like a bbs before i didn't know what i was doing didn't know how it worked so i was trying to figure out how bbs worked while trying to like find the game it was like the sierra bb hint bbs okay. i'm trying to find my game find where i am in the in the game uh, write just like furiously pencil and paper, write down the thing I needed, and then like, okay, log, log off, log off, log off. Like, I'll put all the cords back the way they were on the <laughs> reattach with the phone to step before my mom and dad came home. And then, you know, if, you, if you're on the phone for more than a minute, it's going to cost you like $5 a minute. So I had to just do it as quickly as possible yeah, yeah. Before, they, before they came down. That was the only way that I could get any hints back in the day. So <laughs> that was that's a game in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a, a skill check for sure. And did you succeed? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I I got really good at it. <laughs> I did it a couple of times. I did it two or three times, and after a while, I got really good at just quickly finding the one solution I needed. And I didn't you're humming the Mission Impossible music in your head as you're doing yep. it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I could see them driving up in the driveway or something. Um, so that's my that's my humorous anecdote to end on. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me, uh, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Colonial Pink. C O L O N I A L P I N K. Um, you can go to HarrisonPink.com. Or just email me at harrisonpink at gmail.com. Cool. Well, thanks very much. That was that was good fun. Did you did you enjoy chatting? Was that good? Absolutely. Good for you? Thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to just talk about myself for an hour and a half. <laughs>